coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. So what I do is I do not step out of bed until I think and visualize five things I'm grateful for. Some people think it's cheesy, but I'm telling you it works because if not, the first thing I would think of years ago was, okay, this is what's going to happen today. How am I going to make this work? Just not a good way to start out the day. And you have a choice. We all have a choice. So I do that. And I always get up super early. So even though right now I have no more kids left at home, I still get up really early. I'm a four o'clock person. I love 4 a.m. And when my kids were little, I do the same thing. I mean, let's be real. That's the only time you really have. Once your kids' feet start hitting the floor, it's not about you anymore. So I get up early and then my journaling and my workouts are always a non-negotiable. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed philanthropist and entrepreneur Kathleen Miner. We discussed how she remains being fit after 50 as a stay-at-home mom, along with her daily routine to master the day, the challenges and successes of creating and sustaining a global nonprofit, social media, the good, the bad, and what it's doing to our children, and her one tip to get your body back to what it once was. Really enjoyed my interview with Kathleen. I know you will too. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin and Kathleen Miner. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I love your podcast. Since I found out about you, I've been listening. Really? And I like to listen to podcasts when I'm working out. So I always feel like I'm getting educated at the same time (laughs) as getting motivated. So it's been great. Yeah, I do love listening to podcasts. I'd say for me, it's like when I'm in the car, I'd say Mm. for the most part, but working out, yeah, definitely a a, a good place to, to listen to podcasts. What kind of uh, what are your, do you do like health and wellness podcasts or you all over the map? I'm pretty much all over the map these days. Okay. It's, I go by like my feelings and that's how I live my life kind of with some guidance. But you know, if it looks like, oh my gosh, this is interesting. I always try to stay curious because I think that's what helps keep us young. So sure. I click on it. If it keeps my attention, I'll keep listening. If not, I'm like, I'm going to go to this one because I like this one. And I'm not in the car as much as I used to be. Right. That's true. So yeah, yeah, that used to be what I would do, but I'm just, I'm really not. I mean, my kids are all either married or in college now. So me jumping in the car to do the normal things just doesn't happen. Yeah. Maybe give the the, uh, audience a little background of yourself, Uh, you know, 20 years, uh, stay at home mom, right. And then you have a couple of businesses and yeah, would love to hear about uh, sort of and you're in the training business, which obviously I'm in the training business as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, what sort of brought you down that path? Yeah. So let's see. <laughs> when I was in high school, I had an eating disorder. And it's one of those things that even back in the day, like I said, I'm 52 years old. We didn't have the internet. But of course, I'd see the magazines and be like, Oh God, like I want to look like that. So I compared myself to other people and I'm telling you that because that's what led to me having an eating disorder, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I always thought by, you know, not eating and things like that, then I would be able to look like that. Well, that doesn't work just so you know, yeah. um, people out there, cause you end up getting unhealthy. And I remember my best friend saying to me, you know, Kath, cause I always, I developed very early. So I've always been kind of, you know, full and, um, you're getting skinny in all the wrong places. It does not look good. And so, of course, in my brain. So that's what started my journey, meaning I then realized after, you know, my mom, when my parents figured this out, I went into counseling, you know, all of this stuff. And I was like, okay, I still want to be in shape, but I need to do this the right way for long term. So that started where I actually got out of the band in high school and I joined the dance squad because in my mind, We had one class a day and all it was was exercise. That was our grade. So now this is a great way to do this because I'm going to work after school. And that's how I started to turn an eating disorder into something healthy, started paying attention to what I was eating, started knowing that just not eating or making yourself sick is not going to get you where you want to be. Like you have to move your body. So that started my love for health and fitness. That's where the base came from. Um, then I got pregnant at 19 and that was unexpected, but such a great gift looking down the road. And I ended up with hyperemesis, which those of you that don't know that that's basically when you get sick the entire pregnancy. I thought Mm -hmm. it was like a joke, you know, I'm like, really? Like I'm getting myself healthy and I get this. And I had it with all four pregnancies. So it was just my body. Yeah. It's just how my body reacts to being pregnant. And then I went and got certified into just about any kind of aerobic fitness that you could ever imagine and also personal training. And I did that because I ended up being a single mom. And then I worked at Mayo Clinic. So those of you that are in the US know Mayo Clinic is an amazing academic medical facility. But I still had to make more money. So I taught aerobics and personal trained after work. And I would bring my kids with me. It was just became part of our lives. That's how I started in that business. And I loved it. I loved it. I wasn't at a point where I could make a living at it only because I had to have health insurance for my kids. So that's why I stayed at Mayo, worked my way up the ladder there. And which was great because that was before HIPAA and all of the things came in. So they would train you to do the things the nurses did, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. So I learned so much about the medical field and how it worked with your body, health and fitness. So really, that's my background when it comes to that. And when I became a stay-at-home mom, I ended up having two more children. So four altogether. I got remarried, ended up becoming a stay-at-home mom. And I still did my fitness business on the side. So I was at a point where I could bring my younger kids with me. My older ones were in school. It's just something that always lit me up. Remember Skype? Do you remember when Skype yeah, was around? Yeah. It was like really like the first cool video thing you could do. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing I did remote. And I can't mm. even remember what year this was, but it was a really, it was like in the early 2000s. And I would have my client go to the basement. I lived in North Carolina at the time and I would have clients all over the world and we would work out virtually. Yeah. Well, now now that's happening more. more, Well, since COVID, right? Like uh, clients are working out virtually with with trainers 
Um, and then you started, uh, when did you start a non- your non-for-profit, the help- Hopeful Handbags? Yeah, so I started that after in 2017, yeah. So I was a stay-at-home mom for over 20 years, which is another thing you look back, I'm like, I didn't even, I, I mean, the time flew by so fast. And my mom grew up in a very abusive home. So my grandfather not only abused my grandmother, but all of the children. So that's something that always stuck with me. I always wondered why did people stay in these relationships? I knew it wasn't normal because we lived across the street from my grandparents in South Florida when I was little. And I knew that I didn't live this way across the street and something wasn't right. And my mom, they tried to protect us from it, but we had aunts and uncles that were mine and my sister's age. So we, when they would come over to our house, when all the chaos was, you know, breaking loose, we knew, we knew what was going on because we knew this wasn't normal. So I started collecting once loved handbags and filling them with necessities and donating them to women that were getting back on their feet from domestic abuse. And I had seen this being done like with sanitary products in other parts of the world. And I knew that my grandmother, no matter what happened in her life, she always like really held on to that handbag. So that was the motivation behind it. But since then, we help survivors and their children globally with just about anything. I mean, it's about getting them to safety, health, wellness, well-being, and long-term sustainability. So that's always our goal. We also have another portion of our nonprofit, which is self-defense. So when I started teaching aerobics, but before I started teaching in this way, I took a class of kickboxing, okay? And this instructor was just a love-hate relationship because I kept going back to the class, but she was tough. She'd come in with her um, camouflage shorts and tank top on. And I was so worn out, but she taught it in a self-defense way. And so I really loved that. I was able to retain it. And so when I started teaching kickboxing, that's Mm. the way I taught kickboxing. So we brought that in to hopeful handbags, not for just for the survivors, but just for women and children in in the whole public, because everybody needs to know some sort of self-defense. You just do. Even if it just makes you more aware of when you walk into a building, where are your exits? What are you going to do? You know, have a plan. Mm. So that's another part of our nonprofit. The other part is we always have a special project for the past about two years. It's the rural areas in Kenya. So we raise money and we put water harvesting tanks at the rural schools because they have no water at all. They're getting them from ponds and lakes. And there's been a lot of waterborne illnesses that are making the children ill or they're dying. So with, we have done 10 tanks so far. Our goal is one tank per month this year. And they have had no more waterborne illnesses because they're getting water from the same source. And it's also rainwater and there's a big filter. They're 10,000 liter tanks. I mean, they're like eight feet tall. They're huge tanks. So we also provide those for the community. So the community can use those. How it relates with hopeful handbags with survivors is when we raise the money, we employ the domestic abuse survivors and the child abuse survivors in order to do the project. So we don't send anybody over to do them. The communities do that themselves, and they also learn a trade so they can go on and then build more, do more trade. 
So that's kind of a brief overview about Hopeful Handbags. It's like a full-time volunteer, volunteer job yeah. because it is. Um, what a great, yeah, hopefulhandbags.org. I was just taking a look. Yes. And you started this in 2016. 2017. 2017. Started, yes. In 2016, I went and got certified to be a domestic abuse advocate, going for that answer to that question of, why do people stay? I still didn't understand it. And what I found out first and foremost was there is no one reason. There's no one reason. Every situation is different. It's all about power and control on the abuser's part. And I will say it's not only men that are the abusers. There are women that are abusers as well. So we help the men as well. Statistically, it's still women. Women come forward more often, you know, sure. that's kind of the way that works. And, uh, yeah, you talk a lot about. I was just reading a little bit about you, like your your routines, and I mean, you, you're you're busy, you know, raising kids, and and you also have a tech two tech companies. What type of routines have you developed? That we always talk about, like morning and evening routines that help you sort of get through the day. Absolutely, and my routine has gotten me everywhere, like anything that's happened in my life. Yeah, and I do have a morning routine, and I it is a non negotiable for me. Even if I go out of town, I don't even call them vacations anymore because I'm like it's just part of my life, and I love it. But it has to be a part of my morning routine. So what I do is I do not step out of bed until I think and visualize five things I'm grateful for. Some people think it's cheesy, but I'm telling you, it works because if not, the first thing I would think of years ago was okay. This is what's going to happen today. How am I going to make this work? It's just not a good way to start out the day. And you have a choice. We all have a choice. So right. I do that. And I always get up super early. So even though right now I have no more kids left at home, I still get up really early. I'm a four o'clock person. Oh. I love 4 a.m. And when my kids were little, I do the same thing. I mean, let's be real. That's the only time you really have. Once your kids' feet start hitting the floor, it's not about you anymore. So I get up early and then my journaling and my workouts are always a non-negotiable. And when I mean journaling, I, I have a book. So I, I have the 30-day self-perception makeover. I do that every six months. It takes about five, 10 minutes. But when it comes to the other part of journaling, it's basically just reminding myself of what I'm grateful for, what's going on in my life. It's a kind of a positive thing. Because I feel like if you brain dump on a page, which is fine, you don't want to end it on a negative note. I'm not saying everything's always hunky-dory, but we've sure. got to really, you know, you know this because I've listened to your stuff. The, my, our mindset's everything. So, and then I work out. So my workout is like my sanity. I love it. And it's changed so much throughout the years. But that is my morning routine and I want to be done by the time everybody else gets moving. And now since I've started the nonprofit and we're literally global, I also need to get it done because my phone starts dinging very early because of time differences, right? Yeah. You've got Africa who's seven hours ahead of us. You've got the, you know, um, Spain is six, UK is five, you know, and then you got Australia that's the next day. But you know, all of when my phone starts dinging, I, I sometimes will start to lose a little concentration. Right. So I have it set at a certain time it can start, but I also don't want to miss people and miss stuff. Got it. So up at four, uh, great. You write, you write in a journal 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, gratitude mm-hmm. journal and then workout. Yep. Do you do anything in the evening? And do you have an evening routine? My evening routine is just that my phone goes off telling me that, you know, in an hour, it's about wind down time because mm-hmm. I always count seven hours backwards, right? Which is typically, it's not the same time because I like to get up at four, but you know, you never know if something's going on or if the kids are home, you might be up a little bit later, but I'll start to get that wind down and know that if I'm working on something, I need to start slowing it down. And if my mind's really going 90 miles an hour, I'm not a huge reader. Like I don't love to read books. I don't, I just never <laughs> have, but I love yeah. to read articles and I love to read magazines and I love like newspaper, like I love short things. That's just the way my brain works. Right, right. So I'll do something just to slow my brain down a little bit. And then I literally, I go to bed and I lay there and think about what I want to dream about. That's really what I do because mm. I want to get that mindset of, okay, I can't think about the things that today might've bothered me in some way. Like I need a good night's sleep or else come in the morning, I'm going to be feeling it. So I try to give myself every chance because that I have to make it a good night's sleep because it doesn't always happen. Let's be real. Yeah. 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 We talk a lot about quality sleep on this podcast. And uh, so I'm always curious about routines and stuff. Um, And yeah, I mean, for me, yeah, winding down is so important. I think just with like getting away from screens and and like you Mm -hmm. said, reading, even if it's not a book, it could be a magazine, (laughs) (laughs) something to just, you know, get get your mind um you know away from what's going on throughout the day uh have you incorporated i mean being in fitness for so long have you incorporated any type of like meditation or any type of yoga or any movement meditation so you know i do <laughs> off and on and that's something yeah. i always say is cuz my daughter who is also a fitness trainer she's 29 and she's got three kids and i she does yoga and pilates and i'm always like i really need to do more of that so I don't do as much as I probably should. The meditation I actually do in the morning. So that's part of what I do when I'm journaling. I sit there. I have my little singing bowl. You know, it like clears my mind. I do that. But I only do it for like 10 or 15 minutes. Like I'm, yeah. I have not been able to get my attention span. I know there's ways. I just, I'm a, I'm a like this kind of person. So I have incorporated that. Yes. Honestly, when I do yoga, I feel like I want to go to sleep. And I know it's work, but it's such a slower movement that I'm used to. Yeah. So it's kind of a mental thing. So there I am with that. Mm-hmm. And I noticed on your blog, I mean, you've written about like the importance of being in the moment, being present and, and balancing that life with kids. Like how did, how did you sort of navigate that through your career? Yeah, I really think if it wasn't for my morning routine, I don't think I would have had any sort of balance at all. And that's why I think, like you've said numerous times before, being consistent and having a routine, it's really the only way to go. I don't know of any successful person, whatever you call success is, because it's different for everybody, that doesn't have some sort of a routine. You have to. And I think we have to pay attention to the way our bodies change as well. What worked for me when I was 20 does not work for me now. And I look back. And I'm like, okay, so here I am, picture this, you know, a mid 20 something training all kinds of ages of people thinking I know what I'm talking about. And I did know what I was talking about in the moment, I guess. But now that I've lived through these ages and I remember having clients that were in their 40s and 50s and I'd be like, well, if you just do this, this, this and this, 
right now looking back like, yeah, it's right. so not that way i mean it just is true like we think we know but you really don't know until you've experienced it and what would That's- you say to people in like that are in there we talk about like I talk a lot about like trying to get our bodies back, but honestly, like we know that's very difficult when you're in your forties, fifties, and sixties to get it back to what it once was maybe 10, 15 years ago. But what type of things would you say, or tips would you give individuals that are trying to at least maintain what they have and, uh, you know, stay fit and, you know, be able to sort of keep, have the energy to like, you know, play with their kids and do the things that they want to do. So for me personally, and what (laughs) I do tell people, one of my first questions to any people that I work with, or even my friends for that matter, is, are you on any kind of bioidentical hormone? I will always ask that question because I'm a huge fan of them. Some people aren't. I'm not a fan of the synthetic hormones, but I can only give you a women's perspective, right? So when we start going through perimenopause and what ends up happening is, naturally our progesterone starts to drop first. Well, to understand this easily, and you've probably had people on your podcast talk about this before, but your progesterone is your happy hormone. Okay. So that starts dropping. Your estrogen's not really dropping yet, maybe a little, but it means you're estrogen dominant, which means you're going to have more weight gain around your belly, around your butt around your arms, right? And so then you start to feel sluggish and tired and not very happy, to be honest. So we've got to, I feel like, level that out. Now, whether somebody takes bioidentical hormones or and and or starts to pay attention to what they're eating, right? Because that's another thing. And I know you talk a lot about nutrition. It's what we put into our bodies too. So we can't expect to put things in our bodies that don't agree with us. And what might agree with me may not agree with you and may not agree with the friend of mine that's the same age I am and that we might have the same, a lot of the same habits. So we really have, I would say, pay attention to your hormones, but also pay attention to what you're putting in your body. You know, something for me, um, I've always had hypoglycemia. And as I've gotten older, I have ended up with something they call reactive hypoglycemia, which is really took a lot to figure out. And I always wondered why I felt so bad all of a sudden. And it's basically, to explain it easily, my body will let more insulin out than it needs to for the food I'm eating, which in turn, what happens? Your sugar levels drop, glucose levels drop, and then you feel really bad pretty darn quick. And then you got to have something else. So it's all about figuring out what our bodies need and working with it. So when we were 20, we might've just been able to just eat whatever or not eat, right? Don't eat. Fine. Didn't bother you. It might bother you now. And so I would say we have to listen to our bodies because it, they're, they're changed. They're not the same as they were even 10 years ago. Yeah. What type of, uh, what's your routine regarding eating? Like, uh, mine has changed through the years and, you know, you sort of mm-hmm. you know, self-experiment Absolutely. and test what works. What, what, yeah. what, what are you currently, uh, what's your eating routine like? Yeah. So currently now when I wake up in the morning, I love coffee. I can't have caffeine anymore because the only thing it does to me is makes me anxious and feel like I'm going to jump out of my skin, sure. but I still love it. So I have decaf. And what I do is I have oh, found a decaf drinker. I am a deep <laughs> all the way. I will like literally drink it all day that in water. Like I love it. Oh my. 
but I, I do. I really do love my taste of coffee. But what I end up doing is I know how my blood sugar is and I know what I need to do before I work out. So I put a scoop of collagen chocolate powder in it and it's got just enough sugar in it that I can get through my workout. And like I said, I have reactive hypoglycemia, so I can't just eat thinking it's going to stay because I'm going to let out more insulin and it's going to drop. So I really have to like know what I'm doing. So I have that first. It's like my treat. I absolutely love it. I can get out and work out. And then I have a protein bar when I'm done. It's just what works with me. I used to make shakes, which I still love and I miss, to be honest. It just doesn't work with my glucose levels. It just doesn't. It's too much for it. So I do that. I eat about every two to three hours. So I'm eating all day. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's just what I do. Yeah. And then I make, um, I'm a huge fan of protein powder. I've been using the same protein powder now. I mean, I tried just about everything out there for probably maybe even 15 years. I don't know, since they started. And I make something I call a protein dessert, even though okay. it's Okay, what's that? It's protein powder. So I use Quest, huge, huge fan of Quest. Okay. It works with my body, it works with the glucose level. And I put a, I grind my own oats and I put a scoop of that in, like a small scoop, because I can't have too many carbohydrates at one time. Again, this is a whole new way of living for me, a whole new lifestyle the past mm-hmm. 10 years. And then a little bit of water, a little bit of coconut oil, and I mix it up. Now I'll either eat it like that or I'll put it in the microwave for a few seconds and it is. So good. <laughs> and like around the holidays, I'll put like a scoop of pumpkin in there. Like I'll just like dress it up. So that's instead of like a bowl of oatmeal, because I have to have carbs, a fat and a protein with everything I eat, then that's how I make that work. And then for lunch, I'll usually have the basic. I love salad. I'm just a huge salad lover um, with chicken on top. And I have to, I eat some croutons and I do that because I have to have a carb. I can't just eat protein or else. I won't get enough the glucose going up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically what I have. And two hours later, I might have another protein bar. And if I, you know, I will eat a regular dinner. It's just not that much at one time because sure. I'm, I'm eating. eating every few hours. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I found works for me. And, and the thing is, though, is you have to plan ahead to do that. You have to plan ahead. Yeah. I think planning ahead is probably key to eating healthy, right? Like mm-hmm. I think when you, when people run into trouble is when they try to find something quick or, or fast food or whatever it is with, cause they're not prepared. You know, my wife and I, we get a monthly shipment of like meats and maybe some fishes. So we have it stocked. So all we got to do is pull it out, the, you know, take it out the night before in the fridge. Mm-hmm. And we know what we're having for dinner and just getting into that routine, I think is like really important because like eating out, and the ordering in, that can really do a uh, detriment to your health. You don't even know what's in it. So it could right. be, you're right, like it could be the same thing you think you're making at home, but you right. really don't know what oils they use, what spices they use, what, you know, nothing about what they put in that food. I don't eat, we don't eat very often out. Really, we only eat out if we're out of town and we have no choice. Yeah. That's really the only time we eat out. Or yeah, there's a few. I- one place around here I'll go to, but I get the same thing every time because right. I know what it is and I know it works for me. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the same thing. We only eat out when we're traveling. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, other than that, we, 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 we cook for ourselves. And I actually just had um, a um, 
Sheila Carroll. She works with parents and kids and helping mm-hmm. with, you know, body image and and helping them get healthy. It was a really great interview. And um, yeah, she talks a lot about just like cooking with your kids and how important that is to understand like what it takes to make certain things and how sometimes easy it is to make things that you wouldn't think are that easy to make. Right. And it's simple. You don't need all the extra stuff to go in it. Right. You know, you don't have to have a ton of spices. You don't have to have a ton of different things if you know what you're doing and you know what works for you and what you like. And I will say, even when you travel, you've got to plan ahead. For me, like I always bring my big thing of protein powder with me. I mean, I check a big suitcase for that very reason. Bring the bars. I know bars aren't, you can't really live on them, but when you're out of town, yeah. It's easy for me to grab out of my bag instead of, like you said, jumping into a store, going into a place and just grabbing whatever's there because that's your only option. You have to eat. So planning ahead like that too is really important. And I know it takes time, but as I've gotten older, I've really learned the importance of that. Yeah. And uh, on another topic, I wanted to ask about your, your tech startup companies. What, yeah. what are those about? So there's two. One that we've already launched is called ZZ Adam. And inside of that is a place called ZZ Fans. So we started that. A friend of mine, I have a friend, her name is Leona, and she runs the world's largest women's networking group. And so she's always worked with helping women find, you know, their businesses and growing businesses. And then me with just even my fitness stuff, helping people on the inside out and the nonprofit, I've been helping people also just in a different way. Also Mm -hmm. with businesses sometimes because you never know what comes up in conversation. But we decided we needed to have something all in one place where people can have a social network as well as being able to monetize their content easily. So you've got YouTube, great, but you have to have a certain amount of followers. There's a lot of stipulations and it's it's a noisy place, let's be real. So what we've created is a place where you can monetize right away. People can send you tips right away. Tips meaning money tips, not like advice, but you can do that too. Um, so that you can charge for your videos, you can do them free. So we've mm. got some podcasters coming on there now. We've got people that are chefs. I mean, it's anything you could think of. We are keeping adult content off of that site though. So this is all anything other than that, because there's already sites out there for that. And that's amazing. People are making tons of money with that. And that's great. But this is one that you also have so many different things that you can do which is the only content monetizing site that also has attached to it being able to video and audio chat as well with your clients, customers, and fans. And we call it ZZ Fans because they are your fans. You know, people listen to your podcast because they're your fan or they're your client or they're your customer. And we want people to be able to find people easily, but not have to have all of the many followers to start that process. So that is the first one, and it's an app. So you can get to it from your desktop or from an app. The second one that we are launching in March comes from my personal experiences and how I feel about social media and kids. So 
mom of four, you know, my oldest is going to be 32 in a few weeks. And then my youngest is 18. I've got a 29 year old and a 19 year old. Now, when my older kids were younger, nobody got a phone in my house until they were a um, high school student. There was no need for that. And sometimes I think that's too soon, to be honest. But the worst thing I had to worry about with my older two kids was why is somebody texting you at 11 p.m.? Like they should be sleeping tomorrow's school. So I start because there wasn't the, the internet wasn't available, right? There weren't these apps. So I started a process where everybody had to have their phones plugged in downstairs by 10 p.m. There was absolutely no exceptions. Everybody knew mom can get into the phone and I'm going to check the phone. I didn't hide it. I'm going to check it. It's just what they knew. So got through the two older ones pretty much (laughs) fine. Yeah. Younger ones came along, get to high school. And then one of them, I started to notice, they were about 15 at the time, 14 at the time, started noticing something's not right. Like, you know, they're starting to act differently, dress differently. Like there's a lot of things going on here. Friends are changing. Couldn't figure out where this was coming from. It's like, oh my gosh, here's my child that was not like this even a couple of weeks ago. Something's not right. So then I started noticing some cutting and I was like, So, you know, as a parent, I'm like, I don't even know what's going on now. Like, you don't know how you get here. Because I, I mean, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I was homeschooling my two younger kids. Like, how more can you be around? Right? Right. So, get counseling and all that stuff. Anyway, long story short, um, all of this ended up into a very long hospital stay. And when I finally got a hold of that phone, and really started digging in. Now, mind you, I was checking the phone still and I wasn't seeing much. I was like, well, this is kind of boring and this isn't telling me anything. So what I started to realize was these kids are smart and they're hiding apps behind apps. Mm. So as an example, you can push on the camera icon and you're not getting the camera. You're getting TikTok or Snapchat or something that you had told them they can't be on. Really? I didn't even know that. Absolutely. So part of my mission here also is to just educate parents. I'm not trying to scare them, but you don't know what you don't know. And until somebody tells you, you don't even know what to look for. I had no clue. And like I said, I thought I was on it. I'm like, here I am. I've went through three kids. How hard can this be? Right? So- found that out. When I saw that my child was seeing, I was flabbergasted seriously. Um, You've got other kids and teenagers and some 20-somethings trying to tell your kids, if you're depressed, this is how you can self-harm without your parents knowing. Um, This is how you can lose weight, right? Leading to eating disorders. I mean, seriously, it Mm -hmm. was a lot. So I also have three grandkids and um, the oldest is eight. So they're sometimes watching or they were not anymore uh, YouTube and watching what the other kids were doing, you know, so you got kids on there that are showing like how to do makeup, how to make slime, like all this cool stuff. But then in the middle of these tutorials and also some of the cartoon type things, things are popping in there. That's totally not age appropriate. Yeah, It's just not. 
And so my daughter doesn't, we're not allowed to watch that anymore, you know, because unless you're sitting right there with your kid, you have no idea what they're being introduced to. And we found that out because the oldest started saying, asking questions, a little confused about what's going on. So in saying that, we have created a platform. It's called Tuzu and it's for creative kids. So they can create their content and put it on there, but they also have the ability to receive tips charge for their content if they want, but it's very protected. So in order to be a creator, you have to have your parents do it. Like they have to have their ID with you, with them. Also users have to be logged on by their parents being, it has to be a verified process. I mean, it just does. And then when messages come in to that child creator, it also goes to the parent's email So we've just put some parameters Mm. and safety things in the background. And we also have a team of people that monitor it because bots can't pick up everything. They just can't. But we do want the kids to be able to monetize. And and we modeled it a bit after ZZ fans. And that's how we know that this works so well, Mm. because people are able to monetize their content easily. Because somebody could be watching this podcast and they can just give you a tip. They can throw $20 at you. You know, I mean, great. So and without having to subscribe, but you can also have a subscription. So anyway, that's kind of where that thought came from. I'd like to make social media a separate, a, a safer place, but mm-hmm. we've got to have some separate things that will allow that to happen. So it's kind of like, I hate to say first step, but it's not really. I've been talking now since we're years into this with my child and we've gotten over all of the things we dealt with and looking back. I just want to be able to educate parents on what they should be looking for. Not Again, not to scare them. But anyway, those are the two tech startups. They're doing mm-hmm. really well. But if you would have asked me even three years ago, if I would have anything to do with tech, because I don't really, I didn't like tech. Right. No, I, I love those, both of the ideas. So ZZ, ZZ fans is a way to, uh, is a, is a, it's social media, but a way to monetize in a, in a manner that is, maybe simpler and easier than like a YouTube, would you say? Or is that? I would. It's basically that you can do it right away. Meaning you don't have to build a certain following first. You don't, because really it's like any business, right? Like a trainer, for instance, like you don't need, you know, a thousand clients. You don't have time for a thousand clients, but if you've got 30 really good clients, you're set. And that's going to change over time. So we we know that you don't have to have a huge following in order to be able to make money or a living off of things. Yeah. And and so, just because you have a huge following doesn't mean that your content is better than someone that has a small following, right? Um, right. And that person with a small following should have an equal opportunity to make just as much as the person that has a big following. Absolutely. And right. what we've done also in the background with our developers is we we have allowed it so that the algorithm is even. So if somebody happens to go on there, although if you have a private account, the only people that's going to see your account are the ones that you actually give access to it in the, in the link. But for everybody else that's rolling along the side of suggested things, it rotates evenly. So we want to make sure that everybody's getting a chance. And I agree with you 100% because people are putting out so much content for free. I mean, and, and right. that's fine to help people. I do it too. Sure. But I mean, if, if you could make a little bit on it, because on, you're an expert at it, people sure. are learning from you. So yeah, that's what it is. We wanted to make sure that 
everybody has an equal chance to be able to do this stuff. It's not hard. You do have to verify with ID the first time you make your registration in order to be able to start putting content. But we did that too, because we want to make sure that, you know, somebody's not coming on there pretending like there's somebody else because that's not fair either. We also have a great anti-piracy system in the background. So we can pretty much track down anybody if they do try to steal your stuff. Hmm. Um, and I, I can't really take a lot of credit for that. We came up with the ideas, but it's the developers that we work with that have the hmm. brains behind the code for that, which is another thing. I've learned so much about this stuff that I would have never known three years ago. And I'm telling you, it's not easy work, the coding and making no. sure every little thing. And, and, and the, what's the name of the kids app? Chuzu, T-U-U-Z-U-U. And we're launching that in March. And we're doing that because it's already done, but we have our hands a little bit full with the other one that we just launched not too long ago, ZZ Adam and ZZ Fans. So we're getting that. And although we do have kids already in there doing their stuff, testing it out, seeing how easy it is for the parents to register. And I, I keep doing this because you got to like hold up your ID at the same time. <laughs> um, that way we can see that this this is you and this is your child and it's the same child that's going to be in the video. Mm, <laughs> like yeah. we need to put all that together. I got to imagine we don't have I don't have kids but uh navigating social media nowadays and what gets put out there and what what kind of like content is being sent out to your kids it's got to be a difficult thing for parents. It is. It really is. It could be a full-time job trying to keep up on it. And the thing yeah. is, they're smart. They're hiding things. And the other thing I want to put out there is, it's not that these are bad kids. Right. Sometimes it's the kids that you would never have suspected. But it's because it's looking for them. Mm. So on, for instance, TikTok and Instagram will show you things that they think you may like before they show you what you actually follow. Mm -hmm. So I like to use the example of if I go on and I search for a white crop top, it's going to automatically assume, number one, I'm a female. Number two, I'm probably a teenager. So yeah. I'm already labeled now. So anything that comes my way. Now, if I start to slow down on, oh my gosh, and this takes me back to my teenage years when we didn't have social media, we just had a magazine that we saw at the grocery store. But if it comes across and says how you can lose 15 pounds fast, okay, and I slow down on it for three seconds, it's already calculated oh, yeah. background, right? Yeah. So what's going to happen is I'm going to be shown more people's videos and posts that are about how I can lose weight. And they're probably going to be my age group or in the early 20s, meaning my age group if I was a teenager, and in early 20s. So now I'm appealing to this. Like I'm like, ooh, they're my age and this is what's happening. So that's what I mean by it's looking for them and they're curious. I mean, and they're vulnerable, right? How many right. of us thought we knew? I mean, did you? I know I thought I knew everything when I was a teenager. And I looked back and I was like, that was a disaster sometimes. So it is hard. It's hard to navigate. And we also, I, I talked to a lady not too long ago, this happens very often, said, I, but I don't want to invade my daughter's privacy. How old is your daughter? She's 10. Huh. Okay. Well, your daughter doesn't need privacy. She needs your protection. Right. Yeah. Well, I have noticed she's been acting different lately. 
and I know who she hangs out with. So it's not that. The other thing is how many of us adults have heard, and I know I live by this, we are the five people hanging, we hang out with, right? Sure. The ones we choose to hang out with. That's the direction we're going. Their five people are on this phone and they may have never met them in person or talked to them, but they're following them and yeah. they are being influenced by them. I didn't find out till I started doing this app that when I started doing more, more research than I'd already done and talked to more parents than I already have, that there is a whole section of Twitter X um, that's pornography. Mm. And I'm talking full-on pornography. So fine for adults, do whatever. But imagine your 10-year-old or 12-year-old child right. getting on it and a friend saying, hey, have you seen this? I mean, Instagram's and, probably, you know, Instagram. It is. is There's a whole section yeah. on that too. Yeah, yeah. There, there is. But that's what I mean is we have to be on it. And that's why I said at the beginning, my kids didn't get cell phones till they were in high school. And I still think that was too young. And when looking back hmm. and it's been proven, I know you've had scientists on here and stuff, and they might've talked to this point at some point, but they used to say that the brain was developed, you know, in your early twenties, whatever. I mean, now they're saying 26 and 27 and mainly it is because of instant gratification. So when I was younger, I'm not exactly sure how old you are, but you're, I mean, I've been born a teenager last week. <laughs> um, so, but you probably had to go search for things, right? I know I did. So if I want to get an answer to a question, I've got to go either ask somebody or I have to go to a book or I have to research. I have to do something to get that answer. Now they just look it up and the answer is right there. Now, is the answer true or real? We don't even know that. But right. they are getting instant gratification from it. And the same thing is coming. So th that part of their brain's not being built like ours was. It's not mature yet. It's not there. Makes total sense. And it's pretty simple. So we've got to get our kids back to doing research in different ways and, and being off of the screen and finding out things in old-fashioned ways, right? Why don't you go call whoever and do an interview with them? Why don't you go ask? you know, grandpa Bob or aunt Carol, you know, like let's ask some people those questions. So in saying that they're being really introduced to things, their brains aren't ready for anyway. And then that's why we see these kids going in directions. And these are otherwise kids. I'm telling you, they're coming from good families there. Cause you can't even look back and say, Oh, well, their family, you know, mm. no, all the, most of the ones that I am, working with and see and the parents come to me these are otherwise people call them pretty boring families yeah. they're doing the traditional normal stuff and the internet is um, affecting them it's that's going back to yes is the answer to your question it is a hard time keeping up with these kids but parents also have to put down boundaries and they're afraid to do that i'm friends with my kids too but first and foremost i have to be a parent mm -hmm. And even by doing that, it didn't all work out perfectly like I thought it was. I mean, we still went through stuff. And sure. I don't even, I felt like it came out of left field. Yeah. Great stuff here. Um, so the names of, I'll, I'll put links in the show notes for your your tech startups, yeah. right? I know the one's not coming out till March, uh, but I love the, both of those. And then your nonprofit as well, Thank which you. is... Um, 
what is that handbag? Hopeful uh, handbag. Hopeful handbags. There we go. <laughs> hopeful with two L's because it's full of hope. Oh, I like that. The bags are full of hope. Was it tough to start the nonprofit or was that, I'm sure it was, uh, or it wasn't too Not bad. really. Um, okay. And I say that because first I just started collecting handbags before I started the actual nonprofit. So did I start it prob- earlier than 2017? Yes. Like collecting bags and doing things. And the whole process of starting a nonprofit, as long as you can prove what you're doing and you've got, you know, you, you got to do all that is just paperwork. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't like paperwork. Thank goodness for me, my husband was, is great with paperwork and very detail oriented. So, um, having help to do that. Now, obviously we have a team and we've got other people that can help, but we still are a hundred percent volunteer organization. So mm. I, I think that's really important to, to say because the people that are involved in this really have a passion for helping other people and helping kids. So it's not hard to start a nonprofit, but there is paperwork involved, which is not my favorite part. Like I like to help the people. Yeah. I just had to do a, paperwork yesterday that's why it's like fresh on my mind <laughs> yeah and uh well this was great um i'll definitely and you, and you had a book as well right i'll yeah 30 yeah. day self-perception makeover mm-hmm. okay excellent when did you write that i wrote that in 2015 okay. and it's about because your self-perception is the base of everything you do it dictates the chances you take, the choices you make, the relationships you stay in personally and professionally, and the ones that you leave. And I started working with my clients on their self-perception when I was working on their physical bodies, mm. because I knew for me, I was working on mine. I was a single mom of two kids at the time. And I was like, I've got to start feeling better about myself here. And the outside, I looked amazing. And I felt just not mm. <laughs> on the inside. Yeah. So I started work and that's how the book came about is between my own experiences and clients own experiences. And, you know, I always said, I don't really love to read books. So the whole book is based on days and it's about a page and a half a day. And then you have something to do. Like, it's not hard. It's an Mm -hmm. easy read because I feel like you just want to have actionable steps that you Mm -hmm. can do. And then when you immediately see results, you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to do that again. Cause you know what? that worked and I feel better. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, I love that. I'm, I'm not a huge book reader and I, I wrote, I've written a couple books, but my most recent one is like this, it's called like the step letter system. It just takes you step by step on like taking action. Cause there's like, like you said, there's so much knowledge and information out there, but really what we're missing is people actually acting on that. And, I think, mm-hmm. you know, and if you have small steps, like what you're explaining in your book, then it's yeah. doable. I feel like I can do that. And it, I'm already feeling busy, right? Everybody feels busy. So just give me a small thing. And then I'm going to see it build. Like just, I love the ladder concept. And then I'm going to be like, oh, that wasn't so hard. Mm-hmm. And then when somebody else comes up to me, I'm going to be like, well, have you read the ladder book? Because if you get to the top, get to the top you look down and see how it wasn't really that hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Kathleen. And um, we will, your website's KathleenMinor.com. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sort of your hub of everything. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, have, have a great rest of the day. And I appreciate you coming Thank on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank You're you welcome. for all that you do with sharing this with everybody. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. 
check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day. 